Revelation chapter 15. I saw in heaven another great and marvellous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked and saw in heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes round their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls, golden bowls, filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Thank you, Cathy, very much. Let's pray and ask God to help us to understand that. That sounds pretty horrific, doesn't it? But let's pray that we would have a, a good and a right understanding of this this evening. Father, please would you open our hearts and our minds And please would you speak to us through your word tonight, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Many years ago when I was at school, I did a bit of shooting uh, rifles and and stuff. If you're into rifles, two twos and uh, the old 303s, the kind of rifles they had during the Second World War, which probably explains why I'm a bit deaf. And, uh, uh, and when you're shooting, uh, obviously the aim is rather important, isn't it? Um, but then there are other things like slowing your breathing and slowing your pulse. And you don't pull the trigger, you just gently squeeze it uh, and so on. But the most important thing, of course, is your aim. And, of course, you know, people say jokingly, well, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. And uh, uh, that is actually true, isn't it? Now today we're at the end of uh, a month of services on world mission and here's a question which may have been better at the start than at the end uh, but nevertheless it's a good question uh, to ask. What is the aim of world mission? What is the aim of world mission? And if you want to, uh, uh, what I'd like you to do is to come up with an answer to that in one word. What is the aim of world mission? Have a think about it. Maybe you'd like to turn to your neighbour. You've got five seconds. Turn to your neighbour and what, what do you think you'd say is the answer to that? What is the aim of world mission? Okay. Now, in other words, what do you want to happen? 
What would you want? Whether it's here or, say, in Spain or Italy or Brazil or Bolivia or uh, where it would happen to be, uh, in one word. Well, I think the Bible answers that loud and clear. The aim of world mission is worship. The aim of world mission is worship. Now, a guy called Buddy Owens, you've got to be American if you're called Buddy Owens, haven't you? And, uh, and he wrote this once. Everyone worships something. It is inevitable. It's in our spiritual DNA. We're designed to worship. We were created to be temples. Some people worship power, some worship money, some worship possessions, some worship themselves, and some worship the true and living God. And the aim of world mission is that more people would come and worship the true and living God. It is worship. Now this evening we're in Revelation chapter 15. Um, Actually, Revelation 15 and 16 kind of go together. Uh, We're going to look at chapter 15 tonight, but if you want to kind of do a bit more work on this, then uh, I'd recommend you read 15 and 16 as well. well. We'll look at a couple of things in chapter 16 as we go through. There's a lot of things here, and there are a lot of things here which can be rather difficult, like these plagues. These plagues and this wrath of God. But we're going to get to those towards, uh, uh, towards the end uh, of this uh, sermon tonight. But what God is aiming for in, in world history is that he's wanting us to join together with Christians from all places in the earth, down all history, and be there in heaven and the new heaven and the new earth, worshipping God forever and ever. That is the core of chapter 15. So in verse 4 there, all nations will come and worship before you. That is the aim of world mission. People from every nation, from every people group, from every tribe which maybe hasn't yet heard of Jesus, uh, from uh, uh, there in heaven, in a new heaven and a new earth, worshipping the true and living God. And how has God chosen to achieve that? How is that going to come about? Is that you or me? What's, what's going on with the... Uh, anyway, if it's me, tell me to do something differently. And uh, uh, normally, it's by... Uh, no, normally, God has said, I'm going, to, I'm going to use people to do this. I want you to, do, to be involved in, in spreading the gospel and doing this. I want you... I want you to go next door. I want you to go to your work colleagues. Uh, I want you to invite people on Alpha, for instance. Um, uh, or... It may be that I want you to go to Ethiopia for the rest of your life, like Susanna Baldwin's going to be doing, to translate the Bible there for folks there so they can have the Bible in their own language. And would you two go? Would you go? Do what Susanna's doing? And please don't say you're too young, because many people actually hear the call when they're young. And please don't say you're too old. You might be too old to travel across the other side of the world, but you can get involved just as surely as you can by going through your prayers, through your giving, by getting a missionary magazine, by getting in touch with mission partners regularly, uh, and all the rest of it. Um, God wants to use people like you and me to help populate the new heaven and the new earth with worshippers. That is the aim of world mission. So, a bit more detail. There's a picture here of the world now. And God, who is uh, judging the world through these seven last plagues. Look at verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvellous sign. It's a good thing. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed. That is God's wrath 
against a rebellious world being revealed in these seven last plagues. And I think this is before Jesus returns. Looking at the context here and everything, it seems to me this is talking about before Jesus returns to introduce that final judgment day and to introduce his new heaven and earth. There's a real battle for Christians in a rebellious world. A real battle. And some Christians will die. Some Christians have died today. Of that there is no doubt. They will have died today for their faith. And you see in verse 2 there, And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who have been, these are Christian people, those who have been victorious over the beast, that's the devil and its image, and over the number of its name, which, which is describing what he's like. Okay? And uh, the sea of glass. Now, in Revelation, sea means chaos. It means threat. It means evil. Okay? And it's a sea of glass. And coming up through that sea, you can see it's kind of red, glowing with fire. And fire means that the chaos and the threat and the evil of this sea of glass is going to be judged. But God's people who have already died, they've come through this, they're on the far side, and they're there with the Lord. And it says here, they're given harps, which all sounds very cute, doesn't it? They held harps, given to them by God. And it's talking there about their worship, about what they're going to be doing on the far side, when they reach the far side, when they reach heaven to be with their God. And they sang uh, the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. And then there is that song there in verses 3 and 4. Now, uh, we won't go into all the details here, but there are lots of parallels here with the book of Exodus, with coming out of Egypt, with crossing the Red Sea. That's why he's talking here about this, this song of Moses and of the Lamb. Same song, Moses, Jesus, the same song here, okay? And uh, God's people in Exodus, they escaped Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, um, which was then the place where judgment came on the Egyptian army, when they chased them in and the sea came back over them, and they were drowned, and then there were uh, many, many bodies found on the shore the next day. And you can see it happening here, because God is bringing his people safely through um, these fires of judgment and these plagues which are, are being unearthed. And if you want to see more about them, read about the seven bowls of God's wrath in chapter 16 here. And uh, God is keep, keep, keeping Christian people going. He's bringing them through, bringing them to him, his side so that they may join the countless numbers of the worshippers of God who will be in the new heaven and the new earth and will start now when uh, Christian people uh, have died and they go uh, on to glory now. But you see at the end of verse 4 there, all nations, future tense, will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. So it's also a picture of the future. A future beyond this earth on which we live now. So, uh, and we have a part to play. Do you see that this is actually, I think this is tremendously exciting. All nations will come and worship before you. And the goal, the aim of global mission, of world mission, of our board at the back there, of us joining in with this, of us having this mission month, is that people may uh, join in with that. You may go. Maybe, maybe this week. Maybe over this month. 
you've been hearing a, a, a persistent call on your life. And please, would you tell, tell me, tell the office, um, if that is you. Um, uh, maybe you're thinking, well, actually, I need to pray, pray, pray. Maybe I need to be, uh, who am I going to phone? Go through my address book, inviting people to Alpha and so on. Um, would you go to uh, uh, um, friends at school? Tell them about Jesus. Or would you go to Africa or South America or the Far East or North Korea or somewhere like that to tell them about Jesus? Would you be prepared to, to uh, learn a new language, to relocate for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the worship of God in the new heaven and the new earth? Now, just before we move on to the next point, um, and by way of intro to it, uh, we, I want to say this, that the judgment you see here and the salvation that God's people are experiencing are two sides of the same coin and they happen in the same place. So the salvation of God's people crossing the Red Sea, coming out of Egypt, that was there at the same time as was the judgment on the guys who chased them across the Red Sea. And of course, we also see that the salvation and the judgment, our salvation and the judgment on sin, are also two sides of the same coin. And they happen at the same place, on the cross of Christ, as Jesus not only died for us, but he was judged for us, so that we might have the salvation which he offers to us. William Temple was uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, some time ago now in the Second World War. And uh, uh, he once wrote this. There cannot be a God of love, men say, because if there was and he looked upon the world, his heart would break. The church points to the cross and says, it did break. It is God who made the world, men say. It is he who should bear the load. The church points to the cross and says, he did bear it. So the second thing is, we see people that, that in, uh, uh, in heaven here, were Christian people, all nations, coming to worship God. And one of the main things they're worshipping him for here, it says here, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And God's righteous acts are involved in the judging of sin. And God is being worshipped for it. So, uh, the second main point is this. Worship of our just God. Now, uh, Anna and I quite enjoy uh, watching old episodes of Morse, Lewis and Endeavour. Um, it's all based in Oxford, where people are clearly uh, get murdered all the time, in fact. In fact, we're quite fortunate to survive three years in Oxford without being killed, I think, if those programmes are anything to go by. Um, the thing is, in, in those detective things, the murderers get caught, Except in the real world, that doesn't always happen, does it? Or if they do, they don't always get convicted. But we have a just God. And the aim of mission is worship, yes, but it's a bit more than that. It is worship, and it's saying it's worship of our just God. So you see, the last word in history will belong not to Satan and his Antichrist, but will belong to the Lord and his Christ. And Revelation 15 tells us uh, more about our just God, who is going to be worshipped 
for all eternity in the new heaven and earth and worship for his justice. Uh, it says, for instance, uh, he is just and true. So you look in verse, um, uh, the middle of verse 3 there, uh, well, as the song begins, Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. Just and true in our salvation. As Jesus took the punishment for our sins in his own body on the cross. Just and true to his word as he promised to get us to heaven and he will. And those who have gone before us, we are confident that that is where they have gone. Just and true to himself, to his holy character which will not allow sin or sinful people to remain. Which is why he judges sin and rebellion and removes and destroys it forever. Now look at verse 5 and 6 here. After this I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. Now the temple... Old Testament, that's the place where, where God was meeting with his people. It's his presence with his people. It's a, and this is a picture of the place where God's covenant law is kept, his binding law. His binding love agreements with his people. The law of God, which actually, it, it reveals to us our own sinful and rebellious lives. And the temple is open. And out come these uh, seven angels with the seven plagues of judgment against those who have broken God's law and live as enemies of God. And the um, chapter 16 gives some details of these uh, of God's wrath being poured out from these bowls onto the earth. I think, having studied this quite carefully, I think the best understanding of this is to see these being poured out in human history. These, these plagues have a sense of creation being undone, of creation unravelling. They're warnings. Yeah, they're warnings. They're, they're signs of final judgment. Yes, of things to come. But also to some degree, we need to understand them that they are, there are, there are judgments on the earth now. So for instance, I would say that COVID-19 fits that description. A warning, a sign of a, a future and final judgment. But I think we'd be extremely foolish to say that it just can't be, to some degree, judgments on the earth now. And through this, God is still populating heaven with worshippers. Worshippers of the true and living God. And how do we respond? Well, surely with, with great humility. Lord, what are you wanting to teach me? What are you wanting to get into my sinful mind and heart in the middle of a, of a global pandemic? How can I say something to, about this to my friends? Surely, how, how, how are we going to be able to do that? How can I trust this God of mine more? 
Because I know he's in total control of all this and he knows exactly what's going to happen. Global mission. The aim of it is worship. Worship of our just God. Just and true, but also just and holy. Verse 4 says, you alone are holy. I mean, some people seem to think that um, a just God somehow makes him less than holy and good and nice and loving when he carries out his justice. But here you see, justice is, is a fundamental and an integral part of the holiness of God. If God were not just, he would not be holy. In fact, God can be feared because he is holy. And because God is holy means he acts justly at all times because his holiness demands that he should be just. And therefore judgment on all evil and his holiness. We Well, just glance ahead to chapter 16 and say verses 9 and 11 and it, and it says here um, they ref, at the end of verse 9 they refuse to repent and glorify him uh, verse 11 they refuse to repent of what they had done there are warnings, there are opportunities this is a, a kindness these plagues giving people the opportunity to come to their senses The door is open. We should be praying, surely, that people wouldn't refuse to repent when they're given these warnings in the times of a global pandemic. God is just and true, just and holy. Hard to say, but just in his wrath. In verse 7 here we see these golden bowls filled with the wrath of God. And the word bowl can equally well be translated a cup. And if you read in Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 17, it talks there about a cup and and a cup of God's wrath. The two are so often really related and come together. A picture of God's wrath against sin and rebellion in his world. And chapter 16 speaks of a a deserved punishment and a punishment which fits the crime. Let's look at verses 7 and 6 and 7 there. But don't you find people people will say, well, I don't like the idea of God's wrath. I'm uncomfortable with it. It doesn't seem right. And they even even sometimes give the impression, don't they, that that they're saying, well... um, that it's somehow evil of God to remove evil from his universe. Actually, is that not good and holy and just of him to do that? Surely he is to be worshipped for removing evil from his universe. This happens in verse 3. And then put it around the other way. Just think for a moment of how incomprehensibly horrendous it would be to live in a world without justice with everyone living just as they wish surely that would be an incomprehensible and uncontrollable hell 
There's a guy called Miroslav Volf, who is a, a Croat theologian, comes from Croatia. And Croatia has experienced the most horrendous uh, injustice and so on. Uh, a lot from uh, Serbian fighters called the Chetniks um, in the 90s, I guess it would be, who just herded people into concentration camps. There's a lot of atrocities of raping women and cutting the throats of their brothers and sons and uh, husbands and so on. They burned down churches, destroyed cities, leveled villages to the ground, and so on. Horrendous. And uh, Miroslav Volf has written this. In a world of violence, it would not be worthy of God not to wield the sword. If God, if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make the final end of violence, God would not be worthy of our worship. But God will make the final ends to violence. And because of that, God is worthy of our worship. And the aim of world mission is worship. Worship of a God who is just. And we want the world to know about him. It says, all nations will come and worship before you. And God wants us to join in and make it happen. And if that is true, how can we just sit here? I mean, it's not right for everyone to go, but it's not right for us just to sit here and do nothing and take no notice of the fact that there is a world out there that needs to hear the good news of Jesus. There's a world down the road. There's a world at the school gate. There's a world in your ward. There's a world in your office. There's a world Southeast Asia. Countless billions of people in this world don't know Jesus. And they've got to. And surely some of us have got to go.